Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. You all look so good. You look like you have been with Jesus. What in the world with the Smith family with us this morning? What an honor, a treat. Thank you for giving a whole life to Jesus. Thank you for writing songs that will outlive your time on the earth. We honor your history with Jesus. Thank you for blessing us with your presence. What a treat, huh? Uh, I was secretly hoping for a little bit of what a friend I found in Jesus, but we still sang it, just not the exact words. (laughs) Well, I am on the brink of celebrating 20 years being married. What? old. Yep. And uh, definitely the most generous gift I have ever been given from the Father. 20 years strong. And uh, my devotion to this man is the most significant message I will ever preach. I love you, baby. On our wedding day, uh, His parents came in. His mom is with us this morning. Um, When Grammy comes to town, we leave. That's what happens. (laughs) And uh, his parents, before I walked down the aisle, told me they had been praying for me since Justin was born. And he is a year older than me. So I was born into a life saturated by prayers of strangers. And today, you are fulfilling someone's prayers. And if you are a first-generation believer, if you are the first person in your lineage to talk to the Father... Even still, your life has been saturated with prayer because when Jesus walked the earth, feet on the ground, he prayed for you. And even still, he's in heaven talking to the Father about you. So we, we, uh, a part of humility is recognizing I am fulfilling someone's request to the, to the Father. How, how much of what I am reaping in my life did somebody else pay a price for? And part of humility is recognizing I choose to live through inheritance versus what I could get on my own. So we're going to be in uh, Mark 6. I've, I've had a passage on my heart. Um, do you remember that time Jesus multiplied food? It's got a lot of memes these days, you know, Jesus holding the loaves and everything. Um, This is the only uh, 
miracle of Jesus that's recorded in all four gospels. So it, it is um, worth all the attention that we give it. So we're just going to look at it together this morning. Mark 6, verse 30. You guys ready? The apostles returned from their mission and gathered around Jesus and told him everything they had done and taught. Let's just stop there for a second. They gathered around Jesus and they told him everything they had done and taught. They had just been sent out two by two to raise the dead, heal the sick, cast out demons, go in my name. And the first thing they did when they got back is they sat with Jesus and told him everything. And, you know, you need attention. <laughs> the amount of attention that you need um, is probably not fully living in your consciousness as a grown adult. <laughs> and you were wired in the image of a God who wanted to be known, who wanted to be seen, they will know me. The heart of the gospel is an invitation. Come sit in my attention, know me. So wired into your very nature is a very holy desire to be seen, to be known. If you are not getting attention in healthy ways, you are getting them in unhealthy ways. It will never go away. And I am a student of Kurt Thompson and he studies the brain and how it intersects with relationships and theology. And one of his quotes is, every baby is born into the world looking for who is looking for me. And no matter how old we get, that never changes. We are looking for who is seeing me. And Jesus came with a mission to seek and to save that which was lost. He came looking for you, looking to give you the favor of his face. And you know, um, we've heard people say, oh, they're just trying to get attention. They're just trying to get attention. The whole world is trying to get attention. <laughs> it is not helpful. It's, it's, it's really not helpful to state. Yes, they are just like you. Just like you. They're just doing it in different ways than you probably are. <laughs> and Jesus modeled for us how to live with your need for attention full to overflowing. And if, if we are not sitting with Jesus and the people he sent us on assignment with and telling him everything we just did. Oh, I was amazing, that leg grew back, that dead guy got out of the grave. I was kind to a rude person. Look at what I did. <laughs> then you will unintentionally, 
use your mission to get the attention you need. And when you use your gifts, your callings, your anointings, your assignments to get the attention you need, you abuse yourself. Because abuse is being used. And so much of the hurt we experience or have experienced in the church, in relationships, when we feel used by people, it's often a reflection of our own use of ourselves. Because as adults, I am no longer waiting for someone to meet my needs. As a grown-up, I am 100% in charge of first acknowledging with humility that I have needs. And second, taking 100% ownership to make sure I'm not violating myself and my relationship with my God to get my needs met. And Jesus never um, abused himself while he was on the earth. And, you know, right out the gate, the heavens open, the, the dove comes down, and the father says, I love you. I love you. I love you. You are my boy. I love you. And he goes into the wilderness, right? And the devil appears to him. And the first temptation is he had been fasting for 40 days and he was hungry. <laughs> Anybody ever missed a snack? How much of the fruit of the Spirit is in abundance when you miss a snack? <laughs> Jesus hadn't eaten for 40 days, and the devil comes to him and says, If you are the Son of God, if you're truly who you say you are, if you are who you think you are, turn these rocks into bread. The Passion Translation says, how could the Son of God be hungry? Mocking the identity of Jesus. And, and Jesus says, man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. And he refused to use his power to prove his worth. He refused to use the access he had to all of heaven to prove his value, to prove his significance and his identity. And you know, as followers of Jesus, we have a call to a life of purity that is impossible without Jesus on our insides. Because everything about being a disciple is invisible. And it is, it is, if our motive isn't to know him and to be known by him in intimate relationship, then a life of miracles is a life of magic tricks. 
if we choose to be a disciple of Jesus and it is a rigid form of rules without any of the resurrected power of the entire Godhead living on your insides, then your discipleship is form without power and that is religion. And so our call on the earth is to constantly come before our God saying, give me clean hands, give me a pure heart. Don't let any idol in my life be elevated. You know, because idols are what we elevate above our God. And what we're going to see in this story is how Jesus did not elevate anyone or anything above the Father ever. The Father was his source. And he came to show us how to live a life of such yielded surrender to the Father. That I'm, I'm not the biggest person in my life. I have a Lord and my happiest place is yielding to his Lordship to define every bit of my value. So they told him everything they did. I like that. Verse 31. There was such a swirl of activity around Jesus. Everybody wants a king like Jesus. Everybody wanted to be where he was. With so many people coming and going that they were unable to even eat a meal. So Jesus said to his disciples, come, let's take a break and find a secluded place where you can rest a while. They slipped away and left by sailboat for a deserted spot. But many of the people saw them leaving and realized where they were headed. And so they took off running along the shore. Then people from the surrounding towns joined them in the chase and a large crowd got there ahead of them. By the time Jesus came ashore, a massive crowd was waiting. At the sight of them, his heart was filled with compassion because they seemed like wandering sheep who had no shepherd. So he taught them many things. Uh, other gospels said he healed all their diseases. Late that afternoon, his disciples said, it's getting really late and we're here in this remote place with nothing to eat. You should send the crowds away so they can go into the surrounding villages and buy food for themselves. And Jesus looked at him and said, you give them something to eat. I would like to hear the tone in Jesus's voice when he said this. And I would like to see the look on the disciples' face when Jesus said this. This is, this is 5,000 people plus women and children. So this is like over 10,000 people easily. And if you could imagine walking with Jesus and thinking, I'm gonna help him. I'm gonna tell him what he should do. <laughs> and he's probably not thinking ahead 
about the needs of the people. He's probably not, he's so caught up in the glory of the Father that he's probably not thinking these people are hungry. Their bodies have needs. And so let's, let's create a plan and a structure to really care for people. And let's just get them away from Jesus. <laughs> and if you are living out of your own resources, if you are living out of your own bank account, out of your own gifts, your own talents. The other gospel says, well, uh, we don't even have enough money for everybody to have a snack. There's not enough for a snack. <laughs> and your uh, life will begin to push people away from Jesus rather than towards Jesus. And when your great scheme to take care of the people around you is that Jesus should send them away, we're not thinking like Jesus. And for the majority of us, this thought makes the most sense. Hey, it's getting dark. Get them on out of here. <laughs> for the majority of us, the disciples were the ones with the wisdom. Jesus looked like he had lost his senses. This is what people said about Jesus when they walk the earth, when he walked the earth. He's crazy. He has lost his senses. I don't think people think I'm crazy enough. Followers of Jesus should look ridiculous. In an hour of famine, when there is not enough, you should look as crazy as Jesus. When there is lack, you should be relaxed as Jesus. Oh, babe, you give them something to eat. Somebody here is going to need to change, and it's not going to be the ancient of days. <laughs> He's been the same for a very long time. So you got to keep listening. And, you know, Jesus, they replied, are you sure? Are you sure you really want us to go buy them supper? It would cost a small fortune to feed all these thousands of hungry people. When Jesus put a demand on them, their first thought was, what do I have? Their first thought was, what am I capable of? How much do I have? And they spoke to Jesus like he was a man with limited resource just like them. And they were missing that Jesus was the son of the living God. They were missing 
that before the earth was, he was brooding over the surface of the deep with the Godhead. They were missing that he was there. When God said, let there be light. They were looking to Jesus as they were, not as he was and is and will always be. And in the Psalms, when we look at the history of the people of God, there's a verse that Andrew pointed out to me a couple weeks ago. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, that said, um, they limited God and it grieved the Holy Spirit. We talk about grieving the Holy Spirit. We talk about putting limitations on who our God is in our thinking. And they were thinking about him as the man who, who picks up his sandals out of the pile every, every morning. The man who slept next to them by the fire. And they had gotten so familiar with his humanity that they forgot that he laid aside his deity to become the open door of access to the Father. He, he was the door standing open in heaven on the earth saying, come up here. Come up here, I'm reconciling the world back to the Father who knows no lack, who creates something out of nothing with just a word. And he was reshaping their level of connectedness to their Father. And over and over he was teaching them, my Father, is your father. When you see me, you've seen the father. And their first thought when he, he said, give them something to eat was this is now my pressure. <laughs> if I'm in charge of feeding all these people, send them away. Too much pressure, too much pressure. I have a hard time feeding four people. <laughs> and if what we give on the earth comes from ourselves, we will burn out. And we will end up sending the people that need Jesus away from Jesus. We are not here to draw people to ourselves. We're here to reconcile the world to the Father. And, uh, you know, an idol is anything we elevate above the source, our Father, our source of safety our source of provision, our source of joy, our source of hope, our source of value, our source of worth. So when we're squeezed, 
our idols get exposed. I'm honestly struggling in this relationship because I made you an idol. This is the type of stuff discipleship exposes. I cared more about your opinion than I did about my God. When money gets squeezed and it feels tight and my joy drops, my sense of security drops, my peace drops, Jesus is exposing my idols. And, you know, when I start to worry about money, one of the questions the father asks me is, um, uh, guess how much money is in my bank account? <laughs> it's like a guessing game. It's time to have fun. You're taking yourself way too seriously. <laughs> I hung the actual moon. <laughs> the actual moon you see out there every single night, I put that there with my words. <laughs> and the first time he asked me, I was like, oh, it's a bajillion dollars. What's the biggest number, pi? You have pie in your bank account. <laughs> right? Is that what you're going to say? There's pie in there. <laughs> and I heard the father say, I have exactly zero dollars, babe. <laughs> what? You have zero dollars because I don't even have a bank account. <laughs> Guess how many dollars it took to create grass? Guess, guess how much money it took for that building project to create the solar system? I have zero dollars. And I am the Prince of Peace. Guess how much money it took to give me that title? <laughs> come, come look, zero. Zero dollars, I've never had a bank account and I've existed forever. <laughs> and guess how happy I am. I have zero dollars and I'm the happiest person that has ever walked the earth. I've been anointed with the oil of joy above anybody you've ever known and I have exactly zero dollars. <laughs> adjustment <laughs> on every level in my soul. And, and, and then it's the refining. How much of your peace would you like to come from your dollars? How much of your happiness would you like to come from your bank account? Would you like to serve me or would you like to serve money? Because both is not an option. Baby, take as long as you need. I'm not going anywhere. You can't buy my promise. And in this moment, there was a need. And the first things the disciples did was look at their own limitations. 
look at their own constraints, look at what was impossible within themselves. And this is not faith. You know, sometimes we've been wounded by the faith movement, whatever, whatever that is, I don't know. Um, but I hear people say this, so I just repeat it. <laughs> and it's like, well, they're just a bless me club or whatever. And, you know, that's not what we're talking about here because anybody that's followed Jesus for any amount of time gets led to pick up their cross every single day and purify the motive in your soul. And to truly follow Jesus, you're showing up to die again and again and again. And it's your happiest place. The happiest place I am is my old man in a grave and my resurrected spirit man flying high, free from the attachments that define us on the earth. This is our mandate to be on the earth, but not of the earth. That the systems of worth, the systems that bind us on the earth are no longer what we filter our assignment on the earth through. We have a God. So we no longer live as if our God is a man with limitations like us. And, you know, Jesus told them to go, go and see what you, ha what you have out there. And so <laughs> if Jesus is telling you to do something, a good litmus test is, is this the Lord or is it me, is does it make sense? If it makes sense, it's you. If it does not make sense, do it. Just do it. <laughs> don't think. Don't think. Don't get advice. Unless the people you're getting advice from are as crazy as Jesus. Just do it. And so you're saying, go see if anybody has a snack. So there's a boy snack out there. Not even a man snack like the size of a man. There's a boy snack. And the fact that... There are thousands and thousands and thousands of people in this crowd and nobody else had a snack? Tells me this was super spontaneous. They dropped what they were doing to follow him. And the 12 were not the only ones that dropped what they were doing to follow him. They left their duties, they left their chores, they grabbed the kids and keep up, we're going now, there he is, go run faster! Nobody had time to grab snacks. Every mother in the room knows that alone is a miracle. If no other mom but one mom packed a snack, the God of the impossible was drawing them in a supernatural way. And so they brought Jesus the loaves and the fish. And Jesus didn't say, everybody sit down, group them up, this is enough. Look at the loaves, look at the fish. This is enough for all these people. That is not enough. There's nothing about a few pieces of bread and a few fish that is enough to feed over 10,000 people. That wouldn't even be enough for us. 
that wouldn't even be enough for my family of six. Faith is not looking at lack and saying it's enough. Faith is not looking at reality and trying to call it something it's not. And oftentimes when we look at reality and try to call it something it's not, it's because there's a deficit in our character structure and we don't have the inner resilience to look at our reality, to feel our feelings, to feel the need. And we have to create an illusion to soothe the absolute discomfort and Jesus is asking me to do something that is very impossible <laughs> and makes no sense. Calling the loaves and fishes enough to feed over 10,000 people is not faith. Jesus had everybody sit down and he picked up the bread and he picked up the fish and the Bible says he looked up to the Father. What did he tell the father? He said, thank you, thank you. Faith is getting your eyes off of what is not on the earth and getting your eyes onto who is enough. Hey, there's not enough. There's not enough in your house. There's not enough in the world. Everybody needs more. Calling it enough on the earth is not going to deliver Jesus. Looking to the Father and saying, Father, you are enough. You are my source. You are my sustenance. You are my God. You hung the whole moon. Thank you. Thank you. Our life source is in looking to the Father. And if we diminish our assignment on the earth to what I can do in my resource, in my strength, in my capability, we diminish our need for an entire God on our insides. And maturity in the faith is growing into a happy, joyful dependence on God. Growing into the happiest dependence. What's happening here? We need him. Aren't you happy? We need him. We need him. This is utterly impossible, but we have a God of the impossible. We need him. We need him. We need him. And everybody ate. And they had 12 baskets left over. And... Uh, Jesus sent everyone away, and it says he, uh, he slipped away to go pray on the mountain. And I wonder if he was telling everything the Father. I wonder if he was telling everything he did to the Father. I wonder if he himself was making space. Hey, did you see the look in their eye when I said you give them something to eat? Was that awesome? They had no idea what was coming. That was great. Wasn't that great? That was great. That was really great. And as night fell, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on the land. And the wind was against the disciples, and he could see that they were straining at the oars, trying to make headway. 
So when it was almost morning, Jesus came to them walking on the surface of the water and he started to pass by them. And when they all saw him walking on the waves, they thought he was a ghost (laughs) and they screamed out in terror. And then he said to them, don't yield to fear, have courage, it's really me, I am. Then he came closer and climbed into the boat with them and immediately the stormy wind became still. They were completely and utterly overwhelmed with astonishment. And look at this, because they failed to learn the lesson of the miracle of the loaves and their hearts were unwilling to learn the lesson. And, you know, it was Jesus, you know, he sees them struggling in his happiness over watching us grow our resilience is very offensive unless you know his heart. His heart is, I believe in you, I believe in you, I believe in you. And it pokes every powerless victim bone in our body. (laughs) And it's so offensive that he isn't going to rescue us in situations where we feel we need rescue. And they still aren't connecting Jesus. It was more likely that he was a ghost than he was God walking on the water, defying earthly limitations. That the God who created the sea would be able to do whatever he wanted, like water in his hand to the sea. And, you know, the lesson in the loaves was you have the same access to the Father that I have. He looked at them and put a demand on their access to the Father. You give them something to eat. Fill up your space in the access. He said, I am the open door, walk through it. Come home to the Father. And you know, in John 14, he's getting ready to leave. And he says, I'm leaving. Uh, You can't come with me now, but you're gonna know the way to go. And they're like, everyone's quiet. And then finally, uh, Thomas is like, "Uh, nope, actually we don't. We have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) I, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am your way home to the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen him. Don't no longer live to use your faith to get his attention. Live to use your faith to remain, to abide in his attention, to remain and abide. I have a source and his thoughts are higher than mine. His ways are higher than mine. They are not my own. And you know, let's just all go ahead and stand up. And this morning, you're destiny on the earth is to 
smell like the Father, to feel like the Father, to think with the mind of Christ like Jesus thought about the Father, to live in the unlimited access that Jesus paid such an extravagant price for us to live in. And you know, sometimes I'll just sit and I'll just think, what, what did Jesus feel when he thought about the Father? What did Jesus experience when he bumped into needs on the earth? Did, did Jesus feel anxiety? Or did he feel perfect peace, perfect joy, knowing he has access to the God of the impossible? And your, your destiny is to be a place of reprieve on the earth for the groaning and the sighing to be a door that's as open as Jesus, to be reconciled to the Father. And you know when you were a kid and you would have a sleepover and you'd have your bag packed and um, then you'd get home from Tiffany's house. That's where I was. And it'd be a couple days because you forgot about your bag and then you would open your bag and your clothes smelled like Tiffany's house. You know, you know that feeling. On the earth, when we're with people, we want to smell so much like the Father's house that a couple days go by and it's still lingering. The invitation, come home. Come home. There's room for you in the Father's house, there's room for you. You have a place to belong in the Father. And this morning I just, I felt like there was an invitation to put our shoulders back, to lift our heads as high as Jesus and live inside the inheritance he paid for that the Father would be as familiar to us as he was to Jesus. And you know, a couple of weeks ago, I, I was just pouring out my heart to the Lord and so much unbelief was coming out, so much fear and anxiety. Anybody ever had that when you're talking to Jesus? And I saw the Holy Spirit and he looked at me and I, I felt it hit my heart. He said, I know everything there is to know about the heart of the Father. And I flashed on the verse in Corinthians that the Spirit of God has searched the heart of God. The Spirit of God has memorized the heart of God, every nook, every cranny, every motive for all of time. 
And the Holy Spirit said, and I have never, I know everything there is to know about him. And I have never for one moment doubted the Father. The purity of absolute trust in the Godhead is our inheritance. And we could create a whole life trying to develop our own faith. Or we could be humble enough to receive theirs. We could be humble enough to let go of our own striving and to strive for the one thing Hebrews says, to enter into the rest that Jesus paid for. I believe, I believe, I believe. The legacy we are called to leave on the earth is I believe. I believe the God of the impossible. In Jesus' name. Amen. I love you guys. Bless you, bless you. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.